So I apologize in advance. I'm going to be sniffling like crazy. And I'm hoping I don't like resort to a fit of coughing. I woke up and actually for a couple days I've had a bit of a cold. Uh, But we're going to make it through. It's going to be okay. All right. So this morning we are actually, we've been walking. It's been six weeks. We've been making our way primarily through the book of Isaiah. Um, One little break and went and talked about Micah for a minute. Uh, But we've been on this journey through Isaiah and this week. We are going to be wrapping up this little portion of our text. Um, We'll spend a few more weeks in the Old Testament, but we will no longer be in Isaiah. Uh, And so this morning, our text will come from Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 12. Isaiah 58 verses 1 through 12 says this. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. We have fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the, pe- the oppressed people free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. 
and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. That's a great text to wrap up the book of Isaiah with. Uh, It encapsulates, kind of in a not short text, a lot of the journey that we've been on. Now, just a reminder uh, of where we are in the story with Isaiah context matters. We've talked about how Isaiah is walking with and preparing the nation of Israel, or specifically the southern nation of Judah, for what will be their conquering. They're preparing them for their, their city to be taken over, their buildings to be destru- destroyed, uh, their temple will be brought down. But at this point, in chapter 58, uh, the people have returned back after their being conquered and carried away, after their exile. They have returned back to their city. They have returned back to their home. They have returned back to the way that they have lived before. And what we are reading here is Isaiah speaking to these people who have started to find their way back to a way of living um, that has missed the mark in some way. Specifically, they've reverted back to doing two things. One is they've gotten really, really good at doing, they would call it temple. We would call it church. They've gotten really good at doing their religious thing. The second thing, they are engaged in all sorts of um, broken living. They go to the, the, the temple and worship all while they uh, oppress the poor, they neglect the hungry, they uh, refuse to clothe the naked. And so Isaiah is beginning to confront them for this um, hypocrisy. One, uh, One commentary says it this way. I found it really interesting. He said, during Isaiah's time, The temple in Jerusalem was standing room only. No one missed a service. They sang psalms, the old ones, the new ones, all kinds of psalms. They said prayers and they gave offerings. What they did not do was let worship trouble their conscience. If they kept their distance from God, then they could also keep their distance from God's children. They did not want to make connections between their worship and their neighbors. They ignored the poor and everyone else they wanted to ignore. And God told them, go and tell them what's what. Blow the trumpet, shout it aloud, tell them what hypocrites they are. The people of Judah, I can see myself in lest you think I'm projecting this all onto you. I can see myself in them because they are really, really good 
at doing certain things. For Israel, it's fasting. Not only were they good at fasting, they were prolific at fasting. This idea of not eating, of, of, of neglecting eating in order that you might become closer to God. But the thing about the people was that they fasted not in order to be closer to God and to find their heart transformed. They focused on fasting in order to manipulate God. They thought, if I can do this thing, if I can be really holy, if I can choose to not eat for extended periods of time, then God must respond to what I want God to do. This one hits home. How often do we do this? We talked a little bit about it last week and we're returning it to this week because it's a big deal. As I was thinking about this, uh, this sermon, um, I had a conversation with um, like a spiritual mentor of mine and something kind of came out in our conversation. I didn't intend to say it, but as I said it, I was like, oh yeah, that's really true. And it was kind of shook me a little bit. I, I have this deep belief and it's deeper than I really care to admit it, uh, that I need to do right things. Like I need to be a good and moral person in order for God to respond to me. More specifically, like, so this is a really practical, I'm being real confessional here. This is a really practical way that this manifests. And I didn't, this is kind of in the back of my mind. If, if I do something wrong during the week, if I, if I treat Elizabeth unfairly or unkindly, if I uh, act in rage towards somebody on the road, if I do something that I know is wrong, I think that I, uh, I am alone, that God has turned God's back on me. Now, I don't actually think that's true of any of you. If you talk to me, I would say, oh, no, that's totally not true. God would never turn his back on you. But I'm realizing it's deeply ingrained in me that my action is completely tied to God's response to me. Now, There's a conversation to be had about grace, about how God's mercy is always new. That in our darkest moment, God is present and loving and gracious. And I'm learning, I'm on the journey of accepting and receiving that truth. But there's another side to that. So that's about darkness. There's this other side to it too. There's this certain sort of understanding that I can have So if I feel like God abandons me in my uh, weak moments, in my dark moments, when things are really going well, and boy, I'm doing things right, then I have this understanding that God needs to respond to me. God, I'm doing it right. You owe it to me now. We have this tendency to have this give and take with God. This fear of God abandoning us in our weak moments of failure and that God 
is obligated to respond to us when we are morally upright and good. It's a very deep temptation that we have. And it's really easy for us to approach uh, this church thing that we do with this in mind. I got to show up to church because I've got to be good before God. I want God to like me, so I'm going to use my time. I'm going to give my money. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to say my prayers three times a day before my meals. I'm going to do the right thing because I need God to respond to me. Israel, we see that kind of uh, mentality in them as well. They view fasting. Fasting is for them the way that if they do that well, then God will hear them and respond to them. Now here's the kicker in this text. If you read it, God calls them out really quickly. You guys are hypocrites. You guys are searching for my blessing. And God comes back and says this, I want to bless you. This thing that you're striving for, you think you need to coerce for me, I want to give it to you freely, openly. God says, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. The Lord will be your rear guard. You will cry for help and I'll say, here am I. God has promised blessing. God is just desperate to offer it. But God is pointedly reminding his people it's not going to arrive like this. This thing that you think you've worked out between me and you, that's not the way it goes. You think strict fasting will do it? It won't. God is pointing at something deeper. Uh, There's a theologian named John Oswald. He says it this way. Instead of abandoning themselves and their needs into the hands of God, instead of giving themselves away to others, their religious activities have become self-serving. The worshiper is doing something to themselves to show how devoted they are. It's not surprising that such religious behavior, issues and oppression, violence, and hatred. Now here, here's, there's two ways of viewing this. We'll, we, we call it Christianity, the kingdom of God. There's two ways that we can approach it. On the one hand, we can view it as God's work to redeem all of creation. And that includes people that I don't like and that you don't like. Everybody, all things, reconciled back to God. We can view it that way. We can also view it as this means of my proving how much 
better I am than you. We can participate in something that is inviting and inclusive, or we can live out legalism, primarily being concerned for my needs over anybody else's needs. And the thing that happens is, as we begin to focus on, uh, on the moralistic tasks, as we begin to make, you know, there's always the, the joke that we told uh, when I was growing up that we don't smoke, drink, or to- chew, or date girls that do, or boys that do. This idea that there is a way of living moralistically that makes us right before God What ends up happening while that's rooted in goodness, like we have pure intentions, but when we begin to divide camps up, right? Like we are the ones who don't do these activities. They are the ones that do it. And there's this kind of self-righteousness in this. We're good. They're not. What begins to happen is we separate ourselves from other people And Micah last week and Isaiah this week said that is the behavior that breaks us, that that causes us to lose who we are and to miss the entire point of following God. Micah says you want to be right before God, live justly, love mercy, and be humble. And over the past five weeks of Isaiah texts, we've been reminded that this servant of God is the name that we've called it, but it's, it's, it's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. A servant of God will be full of hope, strength, power, will be guided by light. The servant will be gentle, driven by a deep need for justice, and very concerned for others. And God makes his covenant with us not out of a need for us to save myself from fire. God invites and makes covenant with us in order to participate in redeeming everything. This isn't about you or me. This isn't about a checklist or a laundry list. Isaiah says we are called to be a redemptive force in our world. So we must all be really aware, honest, soberly reflecting on ourselves. How am I? How are you attempting to manipulate God? Whatever that looks like. For me, I kind of shared a little bit of my story, but for you, it may look different. You may have other ways that you live in order that God might respond to you as you want. But the work is in order for us to be healthy and whole and redemptive, is to change how we are motivated, to refuse to twist our faith to meet our own selfish needs. And Isaiah is calling us to see it. 
You know, it's interesting uh, that these are the texts that are coming up this spring um, because we are in an election year. And if there's anything that I can guarantee an election year will bring is that Democrats and Republicans are going to spend the next 12 months manipulating scripture to make us behave in a certain way. They will tell us, you are to do this, that God wants you to do this, that it's okay that we hate these people because they're not in, that we are about our people. We don't need to care about anybody that's not inside our borders. We don't need to love anybody who looks different than us, believes differently than us. It's okay to hoard our resources, every man or every woman for himself or herself. It's okay to alienate and isolate and push away because they're the enemy. We're the good guys. Isaiah reminds us that is all a lie. Isaiah reminds us, brings us back, anchors us back to our center. We read about it in the prophets. We read about it in the Psalms. We read about it all the way through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Paul talks about it. Revelation is filled with it. The idea that this thing we are part of is for the good of all. That we are called to uh, transcend the pettiness, the division, the violence committed to each other. That we are to seek out the vulnerable. We are to seek out those who have no means to speak for themselves. That we are not to make differentiations in the ways that we're taught to make differentiations. And that we should be very suspicious when somebody tells us they're the enemy, they need to be destroyed. Because we are not a people who are part of a destructive thing. We are a people who are part of a life-giving, restorative, healing, renewing faith. Isaiah is asking us, stop masking our destruction with church language. Stop masking our destruction with the facade of a steeple. God doesn't want it. We can keep it. We might as well use our Sunday mornings to go to the beach if we're going to do it that way. But God, who is eager, like the image I have is that that feeling I get, I didn't understand this till I was a parent, but I think it's for anybody who loves to give gifts. When you pull out a present on Christmas morning that you know your kid has been asking for for 12 months and you've got this box and you're handing it to them and you're just like, open it, please. 
This is the image of God wanting to bless us, wanting to give us life and wholeness, wanting to heal us, just eager, dancing, just open it already. But it means generosity, justice, compassion, peace. That is our response. We reject power. We don't hoard it. We use the power we have for good. That is where we will find God's blessing. That is where we will find hope. There's something weird, and this is my last thing. There's something It's upside down, as many things are in the Christian faith. We think it makes the most sense for us to think that if we want to be the best versions of ourselves, we hear this all the time, if you want to be the best version of yourself that you can be, be selfish, focus on yourself, neglect and exclude others until you make it yourself. But what we are learning, and it's the truth, you want to be the best version of yourself? Do you want to be the most whole, most complete person that you can be, the kind that God created you to be? Give yourself away to others. Love others. Be generous with others. Forgive quickly. Refuse to hate Be kind. This is the way, to quote the Mandalorian. This is the way. Friends, in a minute we're going to take communion together. And uh, I encourage you to come and respond. And I, I encourage you to respond specifically in thinking about uh, well, well, we'll say it this way. We believe the table is a means of grace for us, uh, a grace that we can't earn. None of us can earn it. It's a gift. God's love given to us. And so it could be a really great chance for all of us to come to the table and say, God, I'm not there yet. I'm not. I haven't, I haven't lived out this life that we see in Isaiah. I still try to manipulate you, and I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. You can also come to the table and say, God, I really want to not demonize other people. God, I really want to offer peace and love in a world of violence and hate. God, I really want to be about your justice, your mercy, your love. Help me, God. The thing about grace is it forms us as we ask for it. We take communion every week because the act of taking communion shapes us and forms us week by week, becoming more and more like Jesus.